And welcome to the Bleacher Connection with your host, Ken and Trevor, your source for sports and all things in between. As always, you can find us on social media. On Twitter, Trevor is at the BleacherCon1, and I am at the BleacherCon2, and our Facebook page, the Bleacher Connection Podcast. Thanks, Ken. And on this week's episode, we're going to uh, talk mostly hockey. There are a few things that have happened in the world of the NHL this week that we really wanted to talk about. Uh, the first thing was Connor McDavid. He hit 100 points last night in just 53 games. Ken and I are going to discuss this achievement and everything that goes with it. Uh, the Department of Player Safety had an interesting week, to say the least, as well in the NHL. So, Ken, let's give our take on that in a little bit. Uh, we got some news last night coming out of Columbus that John Tortorella is going to step away from the Blue Jackets. And I know you had him as your coach in Vancouver, so I want to get your thoughts on that. And last, Ken, I'm going to throw this question out. Would we want the North Division permanently? I, I think we both might have the same answer, but I'm interested to see which way we go on that. Um, before we get going with today's show, though, I want to you know wish all the moms out there Happy Mother's Day. It's uh, everybody, we all have our moms in our lives. You know, some are with us still, some aren't. This is a bittersweet day for me, especially as I lost my mom a few years ago. Uh, to my wife, who's just an absolutely wonderful mother to my two kids and all the, all the other moms in, in our lives. It, you know, today's for you guys. And you know, we're all better men because of our moms and our significant others. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Definitely happy Mother's Day. You know, I'm, I'm about uh, 13 hours away from mine. So definitely we'll, we'll spend part of the day talking to my mom, see how she's doing. Uh, and yeah, we, we got our, our happy Mother's Day to our mother-in-laws as well. And, and just to all the moms out there, thank you for everything that you do. Uh, it is definitely appreciated. Yes, absolutely. So to kick off today's show, the, the first topic, Connor McDavid. Ken, he put up four points last night against your beloved Vancouver Canucks to hit the 100-point plateau in 53 games. The question that I have for you, Ken, are Connor McDavid's stats inflated because of the division that he's played in this year? Or do you believe he would have put up 100 points in 53 games no matter the opposition he was playing in general? Well, the simplified answer is yes and no. I will say what Connor McDavid did is impressive. He still had to put the puck in the net. He still had to set guys up. He he did get 100 points in 53 games. Uh, the last four games, I got to watch him put 13 points up against the Canucks. And was I surprised? No. Did I know he was going to get 100 points in 56 games or less? Yes. What I really wanted to happen last night was for him to get only three points so that the 100th point you know, the big milestone one was not against the Canucks. Uh, the Canucks have seen their fair share of milestone points scored against them by someone in an Euler uniform. For the most part, that last name on the jersey was Gretzky, but still, I was just really hoping it didn't happen last night. It did. Uh, as for the competition, when you know, when you talk about kind of the inflated stats, and this will kind of go into the conversation later on with the North division. I don't think he would have done it if he had to face better teams. If he had to face the, the Vegas golden Knights, the Colorado avalanche, uh, maybe the St. Louis blues, the, the hurricanes, 
Tampa, Boston, if you had to play any of those games, if you had four games this week against Boston, the Islanders, Tampa Bay, Carolina, he's not getting to 100 points this week, right? Uh, I think the competition outside of the North Division is a lot higher, a lot better. And I don't know. I think he definitely would have had 100 points this season for sure. Maybe more in an 82-game season. It's still impressive. Not trying to take it away from because it still has to get done. Very impressive. I just think it was a bit easier this year to, to get that, to get that right. I, well, I just, I've got the points in front of me while we're kind of going on this and I'll give a breakdown of who he got his points against this year. And the team he got the most points against Winnipeg Jets. He had 22 points in nine games. Uh, second most, he had a tie Vancouver and Ottawa. Again, they had 21 against your, your beloved Vancouver Canucks. And what, like you said, 14 of them this week and against Ottawa, you had 21. And I'm actually surprised it's that low against Ottawa. Cause I, it seemed like every time he played him, he got six points and then Calgary, 18 points. The flames actually managed to hold him off the score sheet for three games. So he actually had those 18 points in seven games against the flames then he only had 10 against Toronto and only eight against Montreal. There's a common denominator here a little bit, in my opinion, and that is outside of Winnipeg, who is a playoff team in the North Division. He struggled against, oh, I shouldn't say struggled. He didn't score nearly as many points at, at the rate against, let's say, Montreal and Toronto, the other two playoff teams in the North Division. So 40%, and it's perfect. It's a perfect 40% of his points were scored against the playoff teams and 60% against the non-playoff teams. Good on him. He helped his team win the games that he should have. He feasted on the non-playoff teams. But to your point, I do believe had he had to play a Vegas, Colorado, he would have put up 22 points in eight games against Vegas, let's say. So I, I'm with you. I think his stats are elevated a little bit based on the division he played in, I'm going to say 15%. I bet he got about a 15% points boost based on the competition he got to play in the North division, which still would have put him on pace for, let's say 85 points in 50 ish games, which is still phenomenal. Absolutely. Like it, in nowhere, we try to take a shot at Connor McDavid here and his skill set. He's the best player on the planet by a mile. I just do think his stats were inflated a little bit, but Hey, he's got to play the schedule that's put in front of him. Yeah. And, and you talked about, you know, the 40% against playoff teams. Well, 50% of that 40% was against one team. It wasn't evenly spread out. So if you're Winnipeg, you want to avoid the Oilers in the first round as much as you can, because you could lose to one guy. I think playoff time, it's going to get a little tougher and, some of the hits he's been getting are going to get a little bit harder. Uh, I will say in somewhat of my Canucks defense in the first five games of the series, because I still have one more to play. I think to finish off the season in those five games, he only had uh, seven, eight points. So they did a lot better to hold him off when they were healthy pre COVID, you know, he's put up 13 against them since they've come back. Uh, after the COVID outbreak, they've got six, seven regulars out of the lineup. They got a lot of AHL level talent in there for to walk around. But again, 
you never know what's going to happen until you play the game. But it, it, it is impressive, but I just don't see it happening in a regular season with playing the better teams that are all out of the States. In all honesty, there was three duds this season in the North division and he feasted on them for 60% of his points. So yeah, like a good on him. And and let's not take away from this stat. Also Leon Drysaddle got his 500th point last night in the same game, another milestone for another oiler against the Canucks. So um, not surprised it happened. It's happened plenty of times where the Canucks are allowing an oiler team to celebrate a big moment, but yeah, it's like, Connor McDavid, he had to put in the work. He did. He he looked like the the fastest guy out there. Kevin Bieksa said it in the pregame before it went on. They were showing the warmups and how just he runs into his own guys because he's going at a hundred miles per hour uh, in the warmup, and the other guys are coasting, getting ready, and he's flying out there. And yeah, I mean, he was also being played over twenty minutes a game in meaningless games. They were doing everything they could to. Uh, get him to that 100-point plateau, which then I'm going to ask you this question. Now that he's got it, do they rest him for the last few couple games? Because it's done. You're going to be going into the playoffs. And I almost questioned it once they clinched. Like, you still had enough time to try and get it done. Did you need to go out there and potentially tire this guy out or injure himself before going into the playoffs just to get hundred points. I'd imagine they do rest him. Maybe they'll play him in the last game against the Canucks, just because that will be quite a break in between games. Uh, I don't see him playing his regular 20, 25 minutes. They might only play him 10 or 15 minutes that game, but I do see him potentially playing in the final regular season game, just because there will have been a, a, a very significant time in between the last night's game and game one of the playoffs. One of the kind of, I guess, good moments that came out of McDavid getting his 100 points was there was a picture I saw on Twitter of the Oilers bench as he kind of went down and got his high fives for everybody. And you could tell that the team was genuinely excited and happy for the guy to reach that milestone. It was obvious that the team was going out of their way to do what they could to make sure he got there. And the smiles on the team's face or on the the faces of the teammates kind of told everything you needed to know about it. They wanted him to get there. He got there. They know that this guy is everything to their team. They know they're a bottom feeder in the NHL without this guy on their team. And they respect the hell out of him for what he means to that team. So, you know, I, it was just kind of neat to see as much as I hate the Edmonton Oilers and I hate Connor McDavid. It was still a good moment, especially in the week that was this week in the NHL, which we're going to talk about here shortly. It, it was kind of a nice moment all in all. So, you know, congrats, Connor McDavid. I don't think you would have done it if you weren't playing in just the North division, but you still get some kudos there. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell like Kevin BX, which I think has been a great add to the hockey night in Canada panel. He adds a bit of, you know, fun to it and that player's perspective that sometimes was lacking a little bit. I think he gives it a quite honest opinion of it. He talked about when it comes to the, being that teammate of a guy going for something like that, whether it is a 
personal milestone or the scoring lead, things like that. Everyone there. And it, you talk about Connor McDavid and he, Kim Bieksa was referencing Henrik Sedin needing two points to get in the last game of the season, which happened to be against the Calgary Flames, needing two points to beat out. I don't recall this. Oh, you should. It was a very beautiful goal in that game. Uh, needing two points to get the Art Ross. Well, he ended up getting four. And on that fourth point, when they knew it was cemented and Liar. done, the, <laughs> the the entire team erupted. And he just talked about what it, how much it does mean to the teammates because you want that guy to get it. And when I talk about Henrik Sedin and, and Connor McDavid, is those to compare those two types of players, neither one of them likes to talk about themselves and their own personal accomplishments during the le- week leading up. Everyone's asking Connor McDavid about it and he's talking team. Yeah. They're asking, yeah. They're talking about to the teammates and they're all talking about Connor and getting him that a hundred, hundred points and how important it is to do post game. Gene Principe is talking to Connor McDavid on the bench about it. And Connor's talking about the team. So, you know, like the guy doesn't even take, 30 seconds after the game to, you know, recognize himself. It's all about the team. So it's very, it's kind of like a humble type player where it's, it's a personal singular achievement, but he should be very proud of it, but he doesn't want to talk about, he wants to talk team. So I think I thought that was kind of interesting and you don't see it too often sometimes when certain sports where it is, all about me and all about the points and the yardage or whatever you want it is. This is a t- guy who's a, a team guy. Well, wow. Team guy through and through. I'll be able to speak eventually here. Yeah. I'm going to by no means confess to be an Oilers insider, but word on the street is this guy is a phenomenal teammate and that he was actually quite uncomfortable with all this attention being on him to hit this, I guess you could call it a milestone. It's not really a milestone. This isn't the first time he's hit a hundred points, but in such, in this few of games, I guess it is. Word is though that he is a great teammate and he doesn't like talking about it. And he wanted to focus more on dry 500 points milestone. So I get the, the not wanting to have the spotlight on you. He's a very humble man. He's all about the team. One thing I, I do want to talk about briefly here with McDavid is heading into the playoffs is this push and it kind of came up with the question about you asking me about is he going to get rested is the amount of minutes that he's played so far this season going to become a hindrance to him come the the grind of the playoffs there there's a few games this year against my calgary flames where the oilers would be down a goal with four minutes left in the game and twice it happened mcdavid and dry played the entire four minutes those types of scenarios, are those going to have weight on him? And is he going to be able to do that in the playoffs? And if he can't play 25, 30 minutes every other night, do the Oilers have a shot in the playoffs? I don't know. I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, Ken. We briefly talked about it last week, but I think playing him though that many minutes that he's accustomed to in the playoffs isn't feasible. And I think his numbers, points per game, let's say, will come down. And there won't be as much special times teams play either. Hopefully the NHL kind of is hit and miss with their officiating. So I just, can he continue this pace in the playoffs as well? What do you think, Ken? I don't, uh, 
the 20 he yes can, will he play 20 plus minutes 25 minutes yeah will they be productive minutes i don't i don't know that it's sustainable because they talked about it during the game or intermission last night where the hits that you happen in a game during the regular season where a guy takes you into the boards and doesn't try and put you through them change to now i'm going to finish my check and i'm going to try and put you through the boards i might get two minutes i might not but i'm going to finish be my, worth it <laughs> i'm going to finish my check i'm going to hit you as hard as i can so that though that minute 19 minute 20 is an absolute grind and you can't skate as fast or as hard or for as long as you can in the first period so the only way playing Connor McDavid 25 minutes, we'll say, is sustainable is if you get secondary scoring, which I don't know that they can do. The Oilers won 4-3 last night, and he was in on all four goals. So that means one line, yes, they were focused on getting him four points, but when the other lines were on the ice, they didn't do anything. And the Canucks, when he wasn't on the ice, tied the game three times. Against Mike Smith, not Mika Koskinen, against Mike Smith. So you need, for him to play 20, 25 minutes, that's going to take down the other team's top defensive shutdown players, which means when he's not on the ice, they're going to have to get rested. But the rest of the team has to step up because they should be facing, in theory, not as high a defensive quality as the Connor McDavid line is going to see if they don't get secondary scoring and you can somehow shut down Connor McDavid, because like you say the officiating in the playoffs changes the Mickey mouse things that have been getting called aren't going to get called. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they let them play, but I've seen them let go a lot of things that should have been called that weren't. So who knows? Uh, as you said, the officiating, in my opinion, has been absolutely atrocious this year. In, in every, every game against both teams. Um, you know, and I haven't been one to complain about the refereeing too much this year to say that, you know, my team kind of got hosed on something. But I will say the other night in the third game, when Connor McDavid comes in on the power play, drops it back to Leon Dreisaitl, and then shoulders Nate Schmidt as he's coming across to check Dreisaitl and scores, that should have been an interference penalty. Even Dreisaitl looked back at the referee to say, wait, you got your arm up or are you pointing at the goal before he celebrated, right? Like the refereeing has been bad. And if it carries into the playoffs, well, that's not going to be great. But all in all, if you get a good defensive, like outside of Winnipeg, Toronto and Montreal found a way to shut them down. And in a playoff series, if they can continue that, it's not going to be the same regular season shutdown. It's going to be a John Merrill or someone else hitting Connor McDavid a lot harder in the corners, getting the extra poke or jab in on him, the little, you know, slash in the hands. We'll see if he can make it happen. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Well, earlier this season against the Edmonton Oilers, and I actually took a, a video of it to send it to you of a chance where Brett Ritchie could have absolutely destroyed Connor McDavid along the boards, and he didn't. Regular season game, I get it. If, if that happens in the playoffs, Ola McDavid's getting destroyed. So I could easily see the, 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 his opposition's going to take the shot on him. 
and they're going to finish their check. So it is going to be harder. And I think his points per game definitely will decrease in the playoffs. I still think he's going to be extremely effective. Like you just cannot stop this guy, but a well-coached team might be able to take his speed away and might be able to shut him down. So I'm interested to see, I think this team has a lot to prove in the playoffs. I picked them to come out of the North division in our rankings. I know yeah, you did. I know you guys uh, kind of rolled your eyes at me, but I thought McDavid and Drysaddle had a lot to prove after essentially going out with a whimper on home ice in last year's kind of play in. I think they're going to be very hard out, especially if Mike Smith continues this revelation of being one of the best goalies in the NHL. I don't know where the hell this came from, but if he continues it, this team can go a long way. Uh, I don't know that they can get past the the Colorados, the Vegases. I think they can give them a run. I, I just think it'll be tough. And a lot has to go right for the Oilers, including the health of McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh, not getting dinged up in a long playoff series. So uh, I know the, the fan base in your city and North of Calgary is extremely excited. And they have every right to be. But I, the Oilers are a team heading into the playoffs that fascinate me because I think they could go out in five games or I think they could go on a very long run, depending on how well McDavid and Dreisaitl do. Yeah, I mean, I did have them at fourth in the North Division, but I think, you know, really, when we were having the conversation about that, we said anyone from, you know, fifth to first in that ranking was up for grabs for any of that the teams. You know, for me, Montreal and Ottawa were going to be on the outside looking out and not in the conversation. I figured the other five teams, the rankings could go anywhere from one to five, depending on who came out and did what and injuries and everything else within the season. Um, so, yeah, I think they do have a lot to prove. This is a team where everyone likes to point out that they were, you know, they say gifted four first overall picks in six years and it, is taken how long to finally work out that they're a, you know, a team in the top. Uh, Connor McDavid did last night make a comment where they, he, and, you know, get on the confidence, but he said they he thought they were the best team in the NHL all season long. I kind of question that when you're not playing everyone, you can't make that statement. You could say you feel you're the best team in the North division for sure, but you can't say the NHL when you're not putting yourself up against those other teams. Cause sorry, the other divisions all have a lot tougher teams to play against and the top teams have put up a lot better points. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. That That's a bold statement, but Hey, when you're the best player in the NHL, you can make bold statements like that. So good on Connor McDavid for having kind of that confidence to say something like that, but you better not go out in five games in round one. I'll just tell you that. So no, no. Well, we'd love to hear from you guys, Oilers fans. What do you think about our talk on Connor McDavid? Reach out to us on Twitter at the BleacherCon1 and at the BleacherCon2, or send us a message on Facebook at the, or on the Bleacher Connection Facebook page. So, moving into our next segment, player safety. Ken, has this last week been the worst we may have ever seen for player safety in the NHL? And what am I referring to? Well, you got Tom Wilson, Pavel Buchnevich, Artemi Panarin, Pat Maroon, Darnell Nurse, Zach McEwen. Like the list goes on and on of kind of Joel Edmondson. Joel Edmondson, yeah, of players being in the spotlight with player safety. 
And it all stemmed from kind of one incident. Let's talk about Tom Wilson to start. Ken, what was your thoughts on the Wilson sucker punch, the Wilson tackle, and the subsequent $5,000 fine? It's garbage. Uh, like, well, just to finish off the list, you got Brandon Montour and Mackenzie Weger is there as well. Like, this week has been a joke. Um, and it all stems from this one incident. Tom Wilson sucker punches a guy while he's on top of him in the back of the head and gets a $5,000 fine for that. The league talks about wanting to get headshots and head injuries out of the game, and you allow this garbage to go on. And then he absolutely body slams Artemi Panarin, who, yeah, went after Tom Wilson, but in defense of his teammate. So I don't necessarily have an issue with that. But then acts like a complete goon. Like It was like you were watching the movie Goon. Honestly, the best comparison I can put it to is that. Because he goes to the penalty box. He's got his jersey off, Tom Wilson does. And he's flexing like he just beat Bob Probert and Ty Domi in the prime of their careers and didn't break a sweat. Dude, you took on two offensively gifted players that are not built for that kind of game. You're, you weren't tough in that situation. You were cheap. You were dirty. And you deserved every minute of penalties you got. And you deserve to be suspended. Now, everyone's like, well, it was the end of the season. We're supposed to do, suspend him for the rest of the season. If it's yes. warranted... Yes. I go back. I go back to when you and I were in in university and Mark Messier's career was coming to an end and he tried to impale a guy in front of the net, but because there were six games left in the season in his career, because they weren't going to the playoffs, the Rangers, they gave him some minuscule two game suspension to make sure he'd play his last game at Madison square garden. Like the league has a history. The player safety department, sorry, and league has a history of being a joke. Like I've got their Twitter page up and it should honestly be the NHL lack of player safety on Twitter, (laughs) because that is what it is. They don't have any standards. No one knows what a suspension is. No one knows what a penalty is these days. I, I can't understand why it's so bad. I have an idea of how to fix it. And we can talk about that before we end this part, because I'd like to hear how you'd want to do it. But this whole incident led to just a gong show of a week because the next game, two nights later, when the Caps and Rangers play again, you had seven fights in seven minutes. You had a line brawl, three fights off the opening faceoff. It would have been four if there was anyone that could have gone up against Chara, but he stood there like a sad kid at center waiting, you know, why don't I have a partner? Where's my candy? (laughs) Why can't I fight? Um, And I, you know, full on the Rangers. I wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole either to fight him. Like, like we can also, we've all seen what Chara can do in a fight and it, it is not pretty, but it led to such a joke of a week because not only did that happen in the game, Buchnevich then cross check slashed high stick, whatever you want to call it, uh, a guy in the face and he gets suspended for it. Right. And, so. and he should have, he should have, but, how do you justify the suspension after not suspending Wilson? Because the, the New York Rangers put out a statement that I will say it may have cost Davidson and Gorton their jobs because they didn't agree with it, but I a hundred percent agree with it. They called out George Peros directly, the head of player safety for doing such a 
poor job in that role. And I 100% agree. But they, the New York Rangers got fined 50 times what Tom Wilson did. $250,000 for questioning the job that uh, George Peros does. I'm, I'm not for that. I think that these guys in these roles, whether it be officials on the ice or player safety, should be able to face some criticism for the job that they do. They should not get away with being able to do a piss poor job night in, night out and not have face criticism. I personally loved what the New York Rangers did. They called out the league on their bullshit. Let's put it a spade a spade. That's what it was. I loved it. I wish more teams would do it. There is a huge, huge, and I'm going to call it an epidemic in the NHL when it comes to the on-ice officiating, and I'm going to call it the off-ice officiating. It is substandard, subpar at best, mediocre at best. There's a good saying in Calgary Flames land of perpetual mediocrity. I'm going to say the same thing about the NHL and its player safety on and off ice officials. It's perpetual mediocrity. The it's there's no consistency. Pavel Buchnevich gets suspended one game for trying to decapitate um, uh, Anthony Mantha, rightfully so. A couple nights later, Darnell Nurse doesn't get suspended for essentially cross-checking Zach McEwen four times kind of in the high shoulders, neck kind of area. None of them were egregious, but he took four healthy swings. Only got two minutes. And only got two minutes, no fine. You got Zach McEwen, who got suspended, and in my opinion, rightfully so. I know what you with it. For skating over to Darnell Nurse and kind of intentionally lightly kneeing him in the head. Well, okay, so here's the explanation on that. It was not a hockey play. Intentionally hitting somebody in the head, not a hockey play. Okay, well, what was Tom Wilson? That was a hockey play? Punching a guy when he's down and in a prone position directly in the head is a hockey play? Like, how can you say Tom Wilson hit to head? Hockey play, okay. Darnell, or Zach McEwen on Darnell Nurse. Intentional hit the head with the knee, not a hockey play. Both of them were intentional. So what the hell are you talking about, NHL? It's ridiculous. Well, and Darnell Nurse, too. Sorry, just to add this part. So the the... Darnell Nurse cross-checks slash punches to Zach McEwen's shoulder, head, and face all stemmed from that knee because it, he got four minutes for a high stick, McEwen did, because they collided and the stick came up, fair enough. Yep. But then he did the knee part. And fair enough, I have no problem with McEwen being suspended for that because it's unnecessary. It's not part of the game. There's no need for it. So fine, I have no issue with it. But then Nurse comes out of the box does all that only gets two minutes yet. There's probably about six minutes worth of penalties in there. And then they fight afterwards. McEwen and nurse have a fight and nurse picks him up almost MMA style and takes him down. That's a hockey play again. I guess when you look at Tom Wilson on Artemi Panarin yeah. hockey play. So there's so much stuff that has been overcalled and not called even from player safety. Like, it's just been a joke. Now they're going out and anything and everything that happens is now a f- suspension or a fine. Tampa Bay and Florida had a game last night and things got heated. And let's see, just from that game alone, uh, Pat Maroon is having a hearing for roughing on uh, Florida's Brandon Montour. He got his licks in. He did. And, and fine. But it shouldn't be a hearing because, let's see, you only find Brandon Montour 
for spearing Pat Maroon before that all happened. So the spear hockey play can hockey yeah, play. True, true. If Mark Messier can do it, then it's hockey play. Um, so Brandon Montour pretty much starts the whole thing by spearing Pat Maroon. Rightfully so, Pat Maroon's not happy with this. Brandon Montour also, if you can read lips and someone put it on Twitter, it looks like he called him Fat Pat, which I think that's maybe the part that really got under Maroon's skin because that's right before he jumped him. Mackenzie Weger, $5,000 for high sticking in the same game on Tampa Bay's Matthew Joseph. Oh, and then we get Joel Edmondson has been fined $1,000 for a dangerous trip on John Tavares. Sorry, if it's a dangerous trip, why isn't it a suspension? Well, right? and then like, who, got, who got suspended the next night for the little meager cross-check in the back? Oh, it, Shane Gothisbeer. Yeah, Shane Gothisbeer uh, got Pittsburgh. Yeah, he got a, a one, was it one or two games for... He, he lightly cross-checked a guy into the back and he went kind of awkwardly into the boards. But in comparison to what we had seen the night before, it was kind of like, wow, really? That was the next night. And I don't have a problem with that being a suspension because I don't either. after an empty net goal, it was late and he went into the boards very awkwardly. It was very, yep. it wasn't an open ice situation. It could have, it didn't end badly, which is good. It could have been a lot worse. But my question is, Where's the $5,000 slashing fine on the other uh, Philadelphia defenseman who two-handed Friedman in the back from six lengths away because he couldn't catch him on the empty net? That was actually being called a penalty. But where's the fine on that? He two-handed axe-chopped him in the middle in the numbers, and there was nothing. Player safety is a joke, 100%. George Peros, and I've been listening to a lot of Sportsnet 650, and they've pointed it out, that George Peros has a clothing line called Violent Gentleman. (laughs) He may be Princeton educated. He may have gone to an Ivy League school. His whole career was built off violence, right? We haven't even touched on the Washington Capitals tweet that they put out after the game yet. Oh, that was bad. But George Peros' whole career was built on being an enforcer and a goon and beating the hell out of people for doing things to his teammates yet since going into player safety who's gotten away with some of the most of the bs in the league and dirty plays well his good buddy Corey perry has escaped so many instances of when he should have been fined or suspended but you know when you're good buddies with the head of player safety you get away with it a little bit um it, it's a joke and and the washington capitals how they escaped a fine for the garbage tweet that their pr people put out afterwards I don't, I don't get it. That was just so bad. It was actively promoting violence. It was in such poor taste. And I have to imagine that behind closed doors, whoever put that tweet up doesn't work for the Washington Capitals anymore. I want to believe that that's probably the case. Uh, but I it, it was horrific. They were actively promoting violence and like pretty much showing a picture of Tom Wilson with like violence and in your head and oh also one of the best players in the league it's like oh my god you get like just so tone deaf to what was going on especially since one of the best players in the nhl is now gone for the rest of the year in artemi panarin because of what tom wilson did yep a hard trophy candidate last year yep another huge issue i have with what happened with tom wilson was he got hurt in the next game. Maybe the league told the Capitals to get him out of there. 
maybe the Capitals realized, holy smokes, yeah, we uh, this isn't good. Tom Wilson didn't have to pay the piper. He did not. And I'm not usually one to, you know, talk about the hockey code and the unwritten rules of hockey, you know, dating back to the Matthew Kachuk, Zach Cassian garbage, like the, the, the unwritten rules of, of hockey and the code to me are so archaic and stupid, but we still have them. And I hate to say it, Tom Wilson didn't have to pay the piper and Tom Wilson is still going to have to pay the piper. I don't know when, I don't know how, the fact he got pulled from that game and sure he got, I believe two fights. He should have had to fight a third guy, gotten his automatic suspension from the league kind of as an atonement. And I'm not one to, I'm not trying to condone violence. I'm not Tom Wilson deserves it. He is a piece of human garbage on the NHL ice who should not be in the league. He has had so many dirty plays. He had a seven game suspension He's earlier this defender. year. This, yeah, repeat exactly. offender. And the bloody rules the NHL has about repeat offender where they go away after X amount of time is absolute horseshit. I'm sorry. It is. It's garbage. Tom Wilson is a piece of human trash who shouldn't be in the NHL. It's as simple as that. On the ice. Off the ice, he might be the best guy ever. I don't know. I, he may be a great family man. And I, I don't want to bring his off the ice into that statement on the ice. Tom Wilson is a human piece of trash. Should not be in the league. And... What is it going to take for the NHL to finally throw the book at this guy? I don't know. I thought what he did this week was going to be it. Obviously not. It's who has to die or get like their career ended before to buy Tom Wilson for something Sav- to happen. Savard? Savard. Savard. Yeah. Right. Like it's been going on. So before I get into how I would fix player safety, this all stems from player safety doing a horrible job because if they were consistent if they did their job, if they suspended these guys who are like Tom Wilson's a talented enough player, he doesn't need to play on the other side of that line. Yes. He is a very talented player and doesn't need to do this garbage. But because of the enforcer rule, because if you do go back and kind of police the in game incidents, because the league doesn't do it, you get suspended and fined. Meanwhile, the perpetrator gets away with it. And that has been going on since they instigated the, the, you know, with the instigator rule changes and things like that, it's gotten worse. We've gotten rid of the Matt cooks and uh, other guys like that, that have been doing uh, Torres. Yeah. All the guys that used to be continuously suspended for doing this garbage are gone, but are they? Because we still have these head hits that take guys out. We still have hitting from behind along the boards. We still have all these garbage plays that happen. And the league doesn't do anything to stop it. So because you, you just allow it. You're like, oh, I can, I can sit for three games. That's cool. Right? Like the fines are a joke. Any other league, a player's getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars. And guess what? It will probably start going away if you fine a guy a good portion of his salary I know other leagues pay a lot more than the uh, the NHL does, but still, Connor McDavid was fined five thousand dollars for a elbow in a game. He still got paid for that game. He still made money off of that game because five thousand dollars to him is nothing. So, my way of fixing NHL player safety is you breaking news: yeah. Ken Cumming is going to fix the Department of <laughs> NHL player safety. <laughs> 
I've said it before and I'm going to say it again until it actually happens. Player safety should not be run by a former player, whether they were a clean player, a, a, a scoring superstar type player, or a goon. Player safety should be a third party completely out of the game. They have no skin in the game, not a former player, nothing. They had no association with the league. Third party, where their only job is to look at the play, look at the rules, make a decision. That's it. You, you look at the play, singularly, you look at it. You look at what the rules say, and you make a decision. And you get rid of this, well, it's been a season and a half, so you're no longer a repeat offender. Nope. If you've been suspended for it before, good luck, you're getting more. Right? Baseball has a scale of okay you got cheating you got caught cheating taking performance enhancing drugs first suspension x number of games second suspension it's doubled third see you later you're out of the league now i'm not saying if you get suspended three times in your career you're out of the you know nhl but there should be some kind of well depending on what it is i mean i think there needs to be a, a scale of if this is your first offense and unless it's a, an absolutely egregious you know act then here's where you're going to fall. Make the fines actually hurt. 5,000 to these guys, even a guy making 750,000, it's not anything. Uh, there's no skin off their nose, right? They'll go to Especially a commercial. when the team pays it. Yeah, go to a commercial for one of your sponsors and you're paid, right? Like they don't care. That's why it keeps happening. But I would say third party, they look at the play, they look at the rules, that's it. No one from the NHL is involved. Outside of the NHL pays that company to do their job. They contract it out. Maybe it fixes it. I don't know. With what maybe it doesn't, but what's working right now is broken and a joke. The here's how I would fix it. And I'm very much on the same uh, line as you on this. <clears throat> Player safety starts with, and they're in the name, right in the name of the department, the players. The players have to respect each other on the ice first and foremost. You can't have guys running around and intentionally trying to hurt people. Looking at you, Tom Wilson. Player safety starts with the players. First thing to do to fix it is player respect. How do you get player respect? Just like you kind of brought out. Make the fines mean something. You get fined, first offense, 100 grand. Second offense, 200 grand. Third offense, Half a million dollars. You want to make this stick? Okay, start finding them. And maybe that's too high, but you have to have it means something. If it's actually hurting their player, their their pocketbooks, then maybe they'll care about their opposing player. Second thing, I'm totally in agreement with you. It has to be an independent third party, and it has to be no gray area. First suspension is one game if you do this infraction. Two games if you do this infraction. And, and you determine what those infractions are. Second suspension. Five games, no matter what. I don't care what the infraction is. Five games. Third, third ten games. It has to be cut in stone what the players are going to get suspended. And I'm with you. The, the repeat offender, it goes away. Once you suspend a guy, uh, Zach Cassian, like he wouldn't be considered a repeat offender now because he's pretty much been out of the league this year. You cannot get rid of that repeat offender clause. It's you've done it once you, it sticks with you forever. 
I'm sorry if I go to jail, that sticks with me forever. It doesn't go away. So why does it go away in the NHL? So there just can't be a gray area. It has to be X games for this first offense, X games for this second offense, X games, third offense, and gone, fourth offense, something like that. It cannot be wishy-washy. It cannot be open to interpretation. You want to eliminate headshots and these $5,000 fines? Here's what I'm going to say. If it warrants a call to player safety, I don't care if it's one of those, oh, it's a $5,000 fine. It wasn't that big. Nope. If it warrants a call to player safety, one game for sure. For sure. First offense, one game. There is no this, oh, let's just give him a slap on the wrist. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. Nope. You got a play reviewed by the league, automatic suspension. For sure, 100%. Until you start taking money out of their, their pocketbooks and getting them off the ice for extended amounts of games, it won't go away. Yep. And they, they, well, the other part that goes with this is better officiating. We already saw one official get... Um, we need a whole hour to talk about that. Yeah. Well, we, we can we can do that later, but just a quick part, like one official was terminated or wasn't going to be working any more games this year. Uh, he was going to retire at the end of the year anyway, so it was like 20 games he wasn't going to work for game management. Well, with game management you're not actually calling penalties on the ice. You're like, Ooh, I've given that team three in a three power plays in a row. That's a penalty, but I can't really call that. Cause that would be their fourth. And that's kind of a double minor. So, uh, going to let it go this time. And then, you know, uh, the breeze goes past the other player. Now it's a penalty. So you need better officiating to make this work as well. Well, and I actually think a lot of this does stem from the officiating because the players get frustrated on the ice and they don't know what is and isn't penalties. And quite often, a lot of these plays that do happen are a result of penalties not called. So I'm 100% in agreement. The on-ice officiating product is, in my opinion, have a big role to play in this off-ice player safety. But again, that would we could talk for hours about how much the, the on-ice officiating needs to change. Absolutely. So let us know. What do you guys think? Do you think Tom Wilson got off easy or should he have had the book thrown at him? What about the Rangers situation and, and Davidson and Gorton losing their jobs as a result? We'd love to hear from you on Twitter at the BleacherCon1 and at the BleacherCon2 or on our Facebook page, the, the Bleacher Connection. Ken, moving into John Tortorella, who announced this week that after this season, he's asked not to be brought back by the Columbus Blue Jackets. I get a kind of a two-pronged approach on this. Can A, would he have been bought, brought back by the Columbus Blue Jackets? And B, what do you think of his decision to step away? I don't think he's retiring. I just think he wants to get away from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, so his contract was up, is up now that I guess the season's over for Columbus. And this morning, the the note did come out that they they both were going to mutually agree to go their separate ways. I think it would have happened anyways, whether Torts wanted to come back or not. I don't know that Columbus wanted to bring him back. Uh, if you look at Pierre-Luc Dubois situation, that's a, a guy they drafted very high and weren't getting the production out of him this year. And whether that was him or because of Torts, could be a bit of both. But they got Patrick Laine back, in a, another very skilled player who wasn't liking his situation in Winnipeg. And he fell off the face of the earth so quick after the first week in Columbus. So I don't know that they were going to bring him back because it seemed like he lost the room, which is kind of the John Tortorella way. 
in Vancouver, it happened very quick. It just the, the team would hit the midway point of the season in his final year. And then it was just like, go up, 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 and down you go. It, it lasted longer in Columbus than I kind of thought it might be with how that team did. I had them as a playoff team. I had them very high in, in that division. Well, third, fourth in making the playoffs in the Central. The team was a disappointment this year, and they really didn't have a lot of changes. I mean, in theory, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong or not, but Pierre-Luc Dubois for Patrick Laine is almost uh, – should be a wash, really, for how should, talented – Yeah, it should be close. Those guys are both very talented goal scorers, so it shouldn't have made that much of a change. When Jack Roslovic is the bigger piece coming back in that deal, that's a problem. But even he fell off very quickly after and became a healthy scratch towards the end of the season. Yeah. But he at least had a better start. I don't know that line is caught up to him in points, though, for what he's done. It uh, Columbus had a disappointing season. And I don't know. He, Tortorella might get another job. We'll see. Maybe he goes to ESPN to to, to, spark, to start the season as a, you know on-air guy for, for them with the new TV deal. Or he goes to, to Turner or whatever to, to be one of those guys. But... I don't know that he comes back, honestly, uh, too quick in the NHL. There's probably going to be some vacancies. Uh, Vancouver maybe might have a vacancy because the Travis Green thing isn't going well right now. I'm trying to re-sign him. Seattle's going to need a coach. Uh, Brindamore, I think, might. Very possible. Uh, Brindamore looks to be getting re-upped for three years at what seems to be a team-friendly 1.8, which may upset the rest of the coaching association for such a low deal for a good coach. Um but there's other guys out there too that maybe George have a little, yeah, that maybe have a little more prestige to them that teams would look at before Tortorella. Gallant got let go of Vegas, and it wasn't like they were losing or weren't winning. He had winning seasons in Vegas, and he got let go. Tortorella, I've seen it here, uh, seen it in Vancouver. He can get them going, but he can lose them quick with the way he is. And I think once you lose them, uh, you lose them. To me, John Tortorella, he's an amazing coach and he can get the most out of minimal skill, I'm going to call it. And Columbus, prime example of this, like they, they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. They swept them and there was no question who the better team was. John Tortorella is a good coach. He can get the, the most out of the least. Unfortunately, John Tortorella also has a very short shelf life. And I think you're good for one, two really, really, really good seasons under John Tortorella. And then I think it goes away. And I think the players tune him out. Like, I think I have to imagine his antics of, you know, sitting players for full periods or healthy scratching that grows wearisome and tiresome on the players. I think they get the message, but then it's kind of like, okay, enough, man, enough. Like, I, I think his message wears thin I think he, he is a very good coach. And if he could come in and coach the Calgary Flames for two years, absolutely, I'd take it. I think he, he can get the most out of you, but he does have a shelf life. And it's happened in the Rangers, the Canucks, now the Jackets. It's, it, I think he gets another job. I really do. I think he's a very good coach. But I think it's going to be a team, if he's going to get another job, and I'm going to say the Carolina Hurricanes would be a perfect example of the type of team that would need John Tortorella right there on the cusp. 
and can't get over. And I'm just saying, say they don't win this year and they can't get over the hump. I think that's the type of team that might take a flyer on John Tortorella for a couple of years. But if you're looking for a young up and coming team, I know there's no fit there. So I'm kind of with you. I think he might end up in the broadcasting because he's got some stuff to say and he's not afraid to hold back. And, Absolutely. you know, him and Brooksy, some of those uh, exchanges in New York were epic. So I still go on YouTube I, to watch some of those. Yeah, I I could see John Tortorella call, find it, kind of following the Brian Burke or Kevin Bieksa model of, hey, let's get into the media because I've got some witty things to say and I could have value there. So I'm with you. I think he he probably goes down that road, but I would not be surprised to see him back in the NHL. You know, you know who just right after I finished and I, I had a thought and I don't know why it didn't come up to me sooner. He is a younger Mike Keenan. Mike Keenan had a shelf life with all his teams too. He'd get, well, except Vancouver. He never really did a damn thing there. Um, but Mike Keenan was the same kind of way, the in your face, the hard, hard coach to play for that. He was always there. And I think Tortorella has a lot of that same with him. I remember I read a story. I forget who said it was one of the older Canucks, but he said, uh, I think it was Keenan came in the room, just started ripping Alexander McGillney and Alex McGill. I'm paraphrasing. because I was trying to top my head. You remember he said uh, after ripping into him and just, it, it was a, you know, four letter word, heavy uh, rant from Keenan McGillney just looked at him dead pan face straight as could be just goes, do you think you effing scare me? Do you not know the story of how I came to the NHL and the fact that they threatened to kill me and my family? Do you think you effing scare me? The whole room just like went dead. Keenan turned heel and walked away. Like if that's the way, you know, that's the, the comparison I kind of get from when you see Tortorella and the, in the way he interacts on the bench, I can only assume the locker room's really no different. Um, it gets old. And if you can't be doing that with players, cause players don't care. They know that they're the, you know, the money makers for the team, right? No one goes to see a coach. No one pays a hundred bucks per, per ticket to go watch Mike Keenan or, or John Tortorella. They're going to play the players and then you got to get guys that are going to get the most out of their, out of their team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I kind of think Tortorella was very much of the, the, the Mike Keenan, maybe even Daryl Sutter kind of mold of ex- demands accountability, but I think the message does wear thin somewhat quish, uh, quickly. So I think he'll be back, and I agree with everything that you say. He's a good coach, but is he kind of his coaching life expired? Possibly. It's it's very possible. So what do you guys think on John Tortorella? Is he going to be back in the NHL? You know, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Ken, moving into the last topic of the day, and I know a lot of people heading into this season were super excited about the new division realignment of uh, the North Division having all teams Canada play each other all the time. And I know we would never see that specific scenario again, but Ken, if we had a chance to have all Canada's teams in a division again, where you play them, let's say, you know, six, seven times a year, maybe not 10, would you be interested in that moving forward? And let's just take travel and everything out of the equation. Just having all those teams in a division again, would that excite you? No, hell no. 
not a chance. It's the, the, the luster wore off quick for me in this, this season. I know it's a different season and, you know, next year we're back to normal, but no, I don't want to see it because in all honesty, I miss seeing the other teams in the NHL. I can honestly tell you for a good portion of this season, even with us doing this, I didn't get to see the other games and I didn't really care. I honestly, there was times where like, what's going on outside of the North division. It, it just puts such a tunnel vision on it. And obviously when you're playing the, the same teams, it, I don't want to see it anymore because it just, it's not exciting. It, it loses that. I'd want to see the teams in the East come, you know, at least twice a year. I want to see the teams in the East more than twice. I want to see the teams in the East four times, two at home, two away, like get rid of this one and one. I, we don't need to see in, in our division, the ducks, sharks, Kings, all, we don't need to see those teams so many times in a season. I don't right? need to see the Oilers and Canucks this many times either. No, like I, I get the in-division games count. Sure. But give us more of the other teams. I, there are so many other teams out there that are exciting to watch. Like, look at Florida this year. They're second in the Central, and we're at one point one of the top teams in the NHL for points. Carolina, they they have the chance if Vegas craps the bed in their last couple of games to win the President's Choice, the President's um, Trophy, not President's Choice. That's a superstore thing. Uh, they put together the chance to be the number one team in the NHL, and we're not going to. We only going to get to see them twice. I want. And this goes for baseball too. scrap this whole East West garbage and give us a schedule that where everyone has equal travel. Everyone gets to see everyone more than one or two times and let's make the game better. There are so many players we don't get to see because of that, that are really good. You want to grow the game. You want to get more excitement in it. Bring Tampa Bay to Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton three times in a season two times, whatever it is, but let us see the other teams that we don't get to see. Right. Like think, think about this way. Tampa Bay won the cup last year. We're only going to see them next year. If the travel opens up again, but can you imagine not seeing the Stanley cup champion come through your team and be able to see how you truly stack up against them more than twice in a year. Let's build it up. Let's get rid of it and see more teams. So no, I don't want to see the North come back as a division. Yeah. I have to agree with you on that. I said it heading into the season and a lot of people didn't believe me. I said, we're going to get bored and we're going to get bored fast. I said, everyone was like, Oh, the flames and Oilers playing each other 10 times. This is going to be a bloodbath. And I was like, no, it's not. I said, it's actually going to become very dull and very boring because these teams are, are going to get tired of playing each other. And they did. They absolutely did. Everybody looked at the schedule and went, holy smokes, the, the Flames and Canucks are playing four games in a row in the middle of the regular season. Oh, those, those games are going to be just crazy. Yeah, no, no, they weren't. Playing the same team four times in a row in the regular season when there's really not that much on the line, there's not the playoff intensity, the guys got bored of playing each other. You could tell. The yeah. Flames had a stretch where they played the Senators earlier this season, and I think they went five and zero. Oh, I don't remember, but they played them roughly uh, no. five times in six the Senators, games. Yes, the Senators oh, okay. went five and zero. Oh. 
And I think they, they played them like five times in six games. Those were some of the worst games of the season. It was two teams that historically didn't play each other a lot. And when they had to, it was kind of like, Ooh, we got to play each other five times. Like it was boring. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of enjoy only seeing the Leafs, you know, maybe two, three, four times a year, two times it is right now. I could go for seeing them four times, nine times. Yeah, way too many. And that has nothing yeah. to do with how good the Leafs are. It just, it took the luster away of, ooh, I only get to see Montreal a few times a year. These games are going to be huge. They're going to be really exciting because there's that natural rivalry already built in of just being Canadian teams. But this was just on overload, and it sucked. It sucked. The The North Division, I get why they had to do it. My God, it sucked so bad. And it was – and I'm not just saying that because my team sucked. It just – the intensity in the games were not there. They were just boring. And it was like the guys were going through the motion in, in some of the games. And, and guys like Connor McDavid went off for hundreds of points because of it. But – to go back to it again down the road, no, thank you. I'm with you, though. I would like to see a schedule where I get to see every team. You play every team four times. Yep. Play every team four times and then fill in the gaps if you have to play another set of teams twice. Sure. If I have to play Edmonton and Vancouver two extra times, sure, I guess. I want to see Washington four times. I want to see Carolina four times. I want to see Boston four times. I want to see Vegas zero times. I want to see Colorado <laughs> four times. Like one, one, maybe for Colorado. One, maybe one. You know, I don't need to see even under regular season Edmonton eight times. Sorry, can Vancouver eight times. It's boring. Oh, a, I agree. It's boring. I want yeah. to see Crosby. I want to see Ovechkin. I want to see Aho. Let me see them, please. So, and the reason why I brought up travel in this too is because the teams in the West a lot of times have to do way more traveling than the East, right? Especially in that metropolitan division where they're all clumped in there together. There was a year, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago that Washington finished up a road trip in Vancouver and they weren't going to, they were going home and they weren't going to leave their time zone for the rest of the season. Right. And they could drive to games here and there, make it so that it's the, the onus on travels on everyone. And you can do it so that it works. But I would definitely like to see the other teams a lot more because in all honesty, I could tell you it was very hard. We did a different show, uh, a complete hockey show that was once a week. And it was so hard to actually try and get up for it and find the information. You're like, man, what the hell happened outside of the North Division today or this week? It was it was difficult to actually give a damn about the NHL and that's not usually the case. Like this year, my Canucks aren't going to be in it. And normally I'd be like, okay, checked out, but I'm going to watch the Carolina hurricanes because I like that team. I, but I'm, it's partially also because you have to go out of your way to watch those games. The NHL doesn't do anyone favors. And whether that's in Sportsnet, TSN, whoever else, you don't get to easily watch the, the other games. So you're just force fed the North division. So you're force fed the same seven teams throughout the year. Well, you're force fed McDavid and Matthews. Let's be blunt here. Yep, absolutely. Like, I don't get it. There was there was games this year that started at three thirty our time in in the Mountain Time Zone, where it was our teams or not. 
on a Wednesday, 3.30 game, but they weren't nationally televised. It wasn't like they were trying to do a triple header Wednesday night hockey. No, you had the 5 o'clock game nationally broadcast. The 3.30 game was regionally broadcast, and so was the 8 o'clock start. No, I understand the reasoning. The reasoning was, and they were trying to kind of go with the baseball mode of it's getaway day for the team. Let's get the game over with and let's let them get to their next city in time to play their next, I guess, three game baseball series. That was the rationale behind it was let's have a getaway day for these teams. But it led to some awkward, awkward, and especially down the stretch, there was one of the biggest Calgary Flames games of the season was a local four o'clock start against the Montreal Canadiens. Half the fan base was still at work. Yeah. Like I understand why they did it for the teams, but to me, it was a failure. I don't think they should have. It it wasn't that big of a deal, especially the NHL usually has a very hard schedule and and travel. So what the guys were getting this year, I, I guess you could almost call a cakewalk. No, I'm not saying isolating by any mean, and not seeing your families for a weeks or on end is cakewalk, but the travel portion of it was a cakewalk for them this year. I don't think they needed to do the, let's call it the getaway day. No, because a lot of those times it was a team going from Winnipeg to Toronto or Montreal, which isn't a huge flight. It's not like Vancouver to Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa. They were doing them on short trips too. Like, Oh, you're playing Ottawa at three 30. Uh, you're going to Toronto tomorrow night. Seriously. That's like an hour flight, isn't it? Why do you need a, like a early game to do that? I don't know. I just give me different teams. I just, I'm, I'm tired of the North division. I'm tired of seeing Canadian teams, honestly. But even in a regular season, I'm tired of seeing the Edmonton Oilers six to eight times a season. Yeah. I'm tired of seeing Vancouver. I'm tired of seeing, well, I'm tired of seeing Vegas just because they smoke us every time they play us. But I do want to see the other teams. I had a a point in time about two weeks ago where I did actually look at the NHL standings. I had no idea that Minnesota at the time was 31 and 13. I had no idea. That is one of the best stories in the NHL. I didn't even know about it. And I trust me, I am a hockey aficionado. I watch as many games as possible. I follow, I watch the highlights. I had no idea. That is what was wrong with the NHL this year. One of the best stories ever unheard of didn't even know didn't even know the only reason i know about teams like the florida panthers is you know john Easthope, who we had on our show last week regularly tweets about him so it's kind of like oh i should probably have a look at this or now sam bennett got traded there and is lighting the world on fire which i don't want to talk about now i know about the florida panthers but i probably wouldn't have known about them And, and to me that's a travesty and i really hope the NHL going into a, a let's call it a normal season next year, as normal as that can be, gets it right and, and lets the fans see every team and multiple times because we went a whole season without seeing any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Next year should just come back and like you, you, you don't see the North Division opponents that often. You don't see if you're in the Central, you avoid the Central, so on and so on. Like just bring us good hockey and make it fun again because. It's been tough. It's been tough. Well, there was even a few years back iterations of the NHL schedule where, and I'm going to say Sidney Crosby, he wouldn't even come to Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver in a season. He would only come every two or three seasons. And it was like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean the best player 
in the league isn't going to certain cities in a season. You don't think showcasing Connor McDavid in Florida three times a year wouldn't be great for hockey? Having Connor McDavid play in Arizona three times or any of those markets. Having Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes play in those markets more often is good for the game. So bloody do it. Austin Matthews playing in Arizona three times. He's a local boy there. That would hugely being get that young fan base be like, man, he's from here. I can I can be that guy yep. in a city state that probably shouldn't have hockey at this point in time in their life, but they still there. So bring the top players there and uh and, and showcase the league. It just they need to change it up if they want to grow the game. New TV deal in the states with uh, a pretty big audience. If you don't want to be shown on ESPN nine behind dodgeball on the Ocho, ESPN seventy four. Yeah, start showcasing the league so that more people want to watch it and go, "Holy crap, these guys are good!" Because there's a lot of hidden talent that you don't get to see. Showcase the hell out of it and make it prominent. Yeah, I really hope that the new TV partners moving forward do have a say in the schedule and do say we want to see, you know, this player in this market because we want to showcase that. I really hope they have a say and I really hope that they put the effort that they have said that they're going to with the financial commitment into growing the league. Because to me, this is great for the league. And I hope that it, they do it right and they showcase their stars. And I hope that they flaunt their stars. That's what other leagues are really, really good at is they flaunt their stars left, right, and center. Absolutely. The NHL is not that good at it. And I hope the new TV partners take a cue from the NBA is probably the best, in my opinion, at showcasing its stars. Take that lead and make these guys like recognizable figures all across North America. If you do that, the game will grow. How long has it been? So you talk about the NBA showcasing their stars. MLB, what was that last year, the year before? They had that like panel interview of all the superstars, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, uh, Francisco Lindor, all they're talking about how many home runs they're going to get, how many hits. It was just a panel of superstars from across the league in a commercial. Just a commercial. The NHL used to do that, what, like 10, 15 years ago, where you had all this, they had those. Swedish twins. Yeah, yeah. And right, they had those really good commercials that showcased the talent of the league all together. It was great. Do that again, because there's a lot of people that are out there, especially in the US, that think that the NHL is a second tier sport. Or third tier. Right. A lot of times they, they cut to the Kentucky Derby instead of showing an NHL game, right? There's a lot of people that don't think the, the NHL truly belongs in the top four in North America, right? A lot of them probably put NASCAR above the NHL in that top four. And they so, probably deservedly so. Yeah. Like, the NHL doesn't do itself any favors. It, no. it is so, the, the NHL is so blind to the messaging that they put out just in general and like they just, they have no clue about what they're actually saying to their fans. And the Department of Player Safety incident earlier this week is a perfect example of it. The NHL is clueless on the, on the way it epitomizes itself to the fan base in North America. It's time to look in the mirror and change that. Well, I was just going to go back to that. That incident in New York, the line brawl and all the fights and everything that happened 
was the first time that the NHL has been on the front page of ESPN and some of these other major sports publications in the US and it's promoting violence. So that is now going to be the crowd that you're like, oh, sweet. I'm going to go back. It's going back to the, well, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. That's not the crowd we want to have. We want to have the people that love hockey, love the skill, want to come and see the complete game. Yes, fighting is a part of it, but it's not the be all end all. It's not MMA on ice, despite what Darnell Nurse and Tom Wilson are trying to do. Let us know what you guys think. Were you fans in the North Division or did it grow old fast? What do you think of the new TV deal and, and how the NHL should grow the game? We'd love to hear your ideas. Reach out on Twitter at the BleacherCon1 and at the BleacherCon2. All right. So that's our show for the week. We want to thank everyone for tuning in again. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, make sure that you give them a, you've given them a call. You send a card, whatever, took them for lunch. But make sure you celebrate your moms this, uh, this week. We'll be back next week with a, uh, another great show for you. Thanks for tuning Thanks, in. Thanks, everyone.